Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We've got a very special guest today, um, Danielle Posa. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation around uh, well-being uh, and its relation to leadership. But uh, let me introduce Danielle first. She's the founder of Workplace Wellbeing Advisors, one of her titles, I might add, uh, as founder, and hopefully we'll unpack uh, some of the other titles. But Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very appreciate, excited to talk about this. Appreciate you being on, and and I recall from our uh, preemptive or uh, pre conversations that uh, your background's really interesting, and I hope that we have enough time to tease back uh, some of the elements there for yeah, this particular you. conversation. Um, so, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, starting with uh, workplace well being advisors, how you started that, and uh, maybe a little bit of background. Yeah, sure. Um, so. So yeah, at a high level, what I what I do is um, I'm super passionate about well-being. You know, basically all things well-being, all things that lead to a uh, a thriving and fulfilling life. Um, but I've always been interested in the intersection between well-being and workplaces because the workplace is where is where we you know was where we spend most of our time, and it's part of our identity and it's um and it's really can be a place where we can achieve our potential, right? If it's the right kind of work. So, um, so I work with organizations uh, really at a high level with executive teams to help them make well-being a part of their culture, right? And so creating a strategy that is really a long-term strategy, not just a well-being program or a wellness program, but, you know, how do you make well-being a real core part of how your, how your business operates and, and part of the entire employee life cycle? So that's kind of, that's what I do. That's what I do now. So let's uh, let's focus in on the term well-being because that probably means lots of different things yes. for folks. But what what does it mean in the context of what you bring to the table? So I always say well-being is most synonymous with uh, quality of life, right? Like you you know I don't I don't use it interchangeably with wellness or happiness or mental health or work-life balance. It's really about you know when you have high well-being, that means you have a high quality of life, right? So what we're really aiming, if we have a high quality of life, that means that we've lived a life that's that's fulfilling, you know, where, where work-life balance is a part of that, where happiness, of course, is a part of that. But the end result is that high, high well-being is really feeling like, you know, just feeling good and really good about that, your life overall. So is it fair to say we're talking about the intersection of all of those different things that, yes. that we carry with us from engagement to engagement, interaction to interaction? It might be personal matters, work matters, yep. your aspirations for the future, that kind of thing. Certainly. Yes, yes. I, I had a um I started my manage my consulting career at Gallup before I started my own business. And and um I often use the framework from Gallup, which touches on these five elements of well-being, which includes work, relationships 
finances, um, uh, your your health, and your your community. So yes, everything you just mentioned those are yeah. those are the five areas that contribute to you know your quality of life. I like that framework. I'm I'm not familiar with it, but it seems to immediately jump out at you as those things that are important to you, right? The relationships, yeah. work, um, you know, family, personal relationships, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you got started professionally. Um, and I, and I want to carve out some time to talk about the jump to becoming a founder and starting your own thing, because if we're, if we key in on the topic of leadership and really are able to pull back the thread on it, I'm very much interested in the idea of the position that people find themselves in that like push them to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to put my own shingle and, and do this one. Yeah. The passions involved in all that kind of stuff, but how'd you get started professionally? Well, then I'll actually start. So a lot of times I start with saying, you know, kind of Gallup was my my uh, more official start to my career because that was my first job out of college. But for the sake of that question, I'll actually go back a little further. So um, when I was 19 in college, I so I always loved entrepreneurship. I, mm-hmm. I, I always thought I would start my own business ever since I was a little kid. Um, when I was 19, I, I took a sales job because I said to myself, either I could be like, a lifeguard during my winter break, or I can like do, you know, I can maybe do something in sales and make more money and do something that's more entrepreneurial. Um, and so I did that. And, um, and I, uh, it was, I actually I broke a national record that first month in sales, but that, that, that was, that was kind of the jumping, jumping off point in my career because sales, you know, I don't know if you're, you're familiar, but like, you know, there's a lot about, motivation and understanding yourself and developing relationships with people. And I ended up um, doing some self-development work, which had me had me get uh, very clear on what my mission and my like my purpose was at, at a very young age, like really clear. And that's that's actually what then um, led me to Gallup because it was the only company that I applied for and interviewed for because it was the only company I wanted to work for. And then I, I um, got the job there and that led to kind of the rest of my career journey. So that kind of focus that you just described, I, I have found it, especially in a leadership journey to be essential, like keying in on something that you think is going to be both, you know, beneficial to your development, that you're going to get something out of the experience. Is that something that's a natural component of your personality or is it something like, um, that you can trace maybe back to childhood? That's a really good question. I actually would say it's more of a function of uh, a sense of purpose because I think that, you know, yes, pe- there are some people that are more focused than others and that can be just like a natural talent or a strength. But I think when you, when you get connected to what you really care about making a difference in, in your life, it, it starts to just like pull you in a direction, whereas you don't have to kind of, you know, force yourself to go down. I almost, I almost feel like the nature of my work. Yeah. Has, has been, um, you know, I don't really have to try to focus in a sense. It just has like most of my work. I felt like one thing just kind of led to the next and it, and it was just, again, it was, wasn't like when I saw Gallup's site, I was just like, I'm going to get this job because I'm so focused. And this is what it was like, I just felt so connected to what the mission of the organization was about. And there were so many elements of it that resonated with me that it just, it just felt like the natural step forward. And and the reason why I think that's important is because sometimes, sometimes like 
focus can feel like work, like, oh, I just need to focus on this, or I just, you know, I got to stop being distracted. But what's what I've always been such a believer in the power of your sense of purpose, because what that can do is actually helps you naturally know the next steps to take in life without having to figure it out, without having to force yourself to, to focus. So yeah. did I answer and, your question? No, absolutely. I mean, it's it, a little bit of it is embracing the things that you're passionate about and letting them guide the way uh, in terms of where yeah. you head professionally. Not yes. a, well, and, and it's important to tease that out because I think that's part of the part of the element that goes into you probably naturally being an entrepreneur um, because not everybody has those qualities where they say, this thing gets me up in the morning. This is how I want to spend my time. This is what I want to invest and pour into and eventually mm-hmm. hopefully succeed in. And I assume that, you know, there's probably a conversation you have with yourself and others, close family members, when you make the decision to sort of strike out on your own, what's that look like for you from an <laughs> entrepreneurial standpoint? <laughs> Um, well, you know, I, I always remember hearing that really good entrepreneurs take calculated risks and that always resonated with me because some people would be like, oh, well, you're just really risk averse and you'll just kind of, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not somebody who just, you know, jumps off cliffs left and right. Right. Like I, I did feel like, um, you know, the nature of, of how I've gone about things have been calculated, risky, but calculated, like you know, can I, can I see how this is going to pan out? Or if I do X, like, I know, I know this is risky, but there's like, I've, I've kind of, you know, analyzed things a bit first. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I first, like, you know, I was at Gallup for four years before I decided to, before I decided to leave. Um, I didn't really involve anyone else in the conversation in terms of them, you know, being part of that decision. It was something that was very natural to me. My, my father was an entrepreneur, you know, his whole life. Um, and uh, my parents were never, my, my dad was always like, you know, you should do what makes you happy. He just always preached, you know, always preached that. So it was never the kind of thing where I had to get anybody's approval to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left Gallup, what happened was um, I was in conversations with multiple people at the time. That was when my passion for well-being and well-being in the workplace really started to bubble up. And I started to realize, like, I, you know, I want to just focus exclusively on this. And I was um, I was uh, speaking with somebody who was a CEO of a of a company who said, you know, look, if you want to if you want to really do this work full time, he said, I will pay you at least what you're making at Gallup as a consultant and work for us part time. So yeah. I was like, sign me up, you know. <laughs> so. That was, um, it was a perfect transition, you know, it was that calculated risk because it was such a great, you know, it was such a great way to transition into my, my own business. It was a form of a stable income while also being a client and not where I had to be an employee. And, um, and that was kind of how it got started. So I was going to ask you, you may have already answered this. I mean, did you have examples and it sounds like you did maybe on your father and others of entrepreneurs who had successfully led their lives in, in that same spirit? Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, my dad definitely, I spent a lot of time with my father, um, growing up. He was in, um, he was actually the distributor for the daily news in Queens and in New York. Um, so like was a paper boy when he was like 11 years old, you know, and was just like hustling, you know, at an early age. And then he bought his first like real estate property with a lot of the money he made from, from being the newspaper at, at the age of 19, he bought his first, um, 
home, which I think it was the same house that I was, was actually born in or not born in, but where I, where we lived when I was born. And, um, and, and then, and he took me to a lot of, he would bring me to, um, different real estate properties to where, and he always like would explain things to me and talk to me about kind of just like he had these motivational quotes always hanging up on the wall. And, um, so he was, he was probably the main kind of influence in that, in that, um, in that, you know, in, in terms of entrepreneurship, but I did, uh, remember reading that, you know, one of the interesting things about entrepreneurship is they say that it is an innate thing that like, it really is kind of a part of who you are. It's not Mm -hmm. really something that gets taught, which is probably a controversial, you know, thought in today's world, because I think everybody, you know, thinks that they can and should be an entrepreneur. But I do feel like it was kind of just part of who I was, because when I was like five years old, I was like, I was charging my my mom's friends to paint their nails and stuff. Like, you know, I said, come, come downstairs and all. And I, I used to take junk from the round, around the house and put price tags on it and like sell it out of our basement when I was like, you know, when so, I was like under 10. So the seed, the seed started early. Would it yeah. be, would it be safe to say that um, maybe both parents, but in particular your dad, is he your first um, identifying leader uh, in your life? Like the first person that you, sort of look to as someone in the leadership realm? Yeah, that's such a, I've never been asked that before. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, maybe so I didn't, you know, even subconsciously it wasn't even something, but yeah, because I did, I did, you know, really look up to him. I did, did um, take what he said very, you know, very seriously. So yeah. Yeah. I would say so um, you, you decide in this, environment to sort of strike off on your own. You have this agreement um, uh, that you're going to come on board at, at, the, at a minimum uh, existing or sort of doing what it is that you were doing in a financial capability or rate at the time. And then you think how you're going to expound, expound off of that and build it into something, uh, something else. Talk to me a little bit about the role that leadership plays in the subject of uh, of well-being. How do you view the topics? Are they oh, are yeah. they are they intermi- intermingled uh, in terms of how you view them, or do you view the topic of leadership separate from the idea of well-being? No, so I think it goes it goes hand in hand, right? So it depends on how we d- define leadership, because um, because there are plenty of people people in leadership positions who don't really demonstrate, in my opinion, real qualities of of leaders, right? So to me, real leadership means being connected to something bigger than yourself, you know, having having a sense of purpose for your leadership, being connected to the impact that you have on other people and wanting to have a positive impact, you right. know, on on people's lives. And so if you look at it according to that definition, well-being and workplace well-being go hand in hand because you know hey like i you know i i i i do consulting i'm not running a major organization on a daily basis but mm-hmm. if i was i would i would i would want to know at any given time during during you know that during the the life cycle of that business like what exactly is the state of well-being of of my people right now and and down to a very specific level because there's kind of that interest and in, yes, we want to grow the business, but Hey, if people aren't, if there's like pockets of people who are really struggling or really suffering, like that, 
I can, first of all, I care about that. Second of all, I know that's going to have an impact on what we're doing. So to me, those two things are, are not just connected. They are like intricately, um, you know, leadership and well-being are intricately connected. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you went down this lane. So it, would it always be safe? go down this lane. <laughs> well, no, I mean, would it be safe to say that um, even good leaders, I think, may sometimes lose sight of what you just described as this important thing? You you described it like you want to know down to the probably the level of every employee, like how they're feeling about the the experience. And then oftentimes in leadership, there's this big pull to get things done, to accomplish oh, yeah. things, to like drive the entire team to move forward. Um, how do you think leaders should consciously think about taking those necessary pauses so that they can get a pulse uh, of the the team mm-hmm. to make sure that everyone's coming along at a rate that, you know, that allows them to thrive and, 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 and be who they need to be? Like, how, well, how should well, we think we, about that? Yeah, well, I mean, the pause was the first part of it. So like I said, I told you, I was just on a, you know, Deepak Chopra and I were just on a uh, webinar um, right before this talking about conscious leadership and how, you know, the problem of our society, I think, and of our time is the lack of conscious behavior, meaning like we are, we are constantly doing, you know, Deepak always says we're human doings and not human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are all like struggling with just, you know, being in this, like, what did you do for me lately type culture and just getting things done, getting to the bottom of email lists and to-do lists and not taking that step back. And I think the first thing is like, we have to remind ourselves that at the end of life, we're going to be like wondering and saying to ourselves like, oh man, I wish I like just took a second to just interrupt that pattern and really think about what direction I want to have all of this doing going in. Right? Like right. if I'm going to be doing, doing, doing all the time and at least let me make sure it's actually headed you know, towards the kind of things that I want to achieve in my life, right? And that the things that I'm really going to be proud of. So what you just said about pausing, like we have to get better at that, whether that's through meditation, whether that's through actually sitting down and just like having lunch without multitasking and just contemplating things and thinking and not just using that space for scrolling through social media, you know, like reading with a book in our hand without distractions, you know, and, 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 and then, you know, when you start there, then all of a sudden you have insights about like what maybe solutions start to come to you as in terms of challenges you're facing as a leader that would never have come to you if we were just busy answering emails and frantically trying to cross things off your to-do list. I've, I've experienced that many times where like when I've, you know, meditated and I come out and I'm like, oh, that's how I can like solve that problem. And like all of a sudden it's just right there because I'm getting connected to, you know, some to like more of a, my soul or a place that the answers can come a lot more easily than when I'm sitting in front of my screen with a million tabs open and emails to answer and all that. Right. So, so the first step is that you have to actually get connected and really ask yourself some of these bigger questions. Um, when it comes to really looking at, you know, well-being at that granular level that I mentioned, you know, that's that that's a way bigger, you know, it's not like every leader is look, doing that and 
you know, it's not like the CEO of a company is looking at those kinds of results on a daily basis, but like I build long-term I, I, I well-being say, strategies. I would say most are not. Right. No, most of them are not. Um, but like when I build well-being strategies with companies, it's about the fact that, you know, you actually want that information to trickle down to teams. So each team can feel like they have a sense of how is the well-being of our team doing, where a manager knows, you know, how is the engagement of, of this team? What do we need to work on? But it becomes something that is an underlying intention of the organization, right? That is worked on on a, cons- you know, on a consistent but long-term term basis. It's not like a one item, you know, to do. It's not like right. one, one, one item on your to-do list. It's a pretty big undertaking. Um, so this, this theme of um, pausing, this theme of self-reflection, something I've written about in the, the leadership student uh, blog that I keep going or the newsletter on LinkedIn. And it's also part of conversations I've had with other leaders at, about how important it is. Um, I would put, you know, actions like journaling uh, uh, mm-hmm. as a uh, viable sort of step that folks might take to, um, to pause. You mentioned meditating. Are there other you know, specific things that people can do to initiate that pause that you think are helpful? Yeah. So I think one thing is that it is important to find out which one of these things is more of your style, right? So, um, so I work closely with, um, uh, uh, I seem to think it's funny that I'm like citing him on this, but his name is Jeff McDonald. He was the former global head of HR for Unilever, right? And this guy is so committed to well-being, and he is a um, an, a uh, major like mountain bike rider, and and mm-hmm. he is just constantly on his bike, right, out in nature. And that, like, for him, that's like his meditation, right? That is his way of connecting and getting, you know, more clear on really his mission in life. For other people, they they love meditation. I know a lot of people; it's, it's challenging for them to do. I think you know, meditation is something that is that is some really we all need to get good at. At least just yeah. sitting still quietly and not doing still anything, much. right? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I mean journaling. I think like for me, reading is a big one. I love to just sit outside, you know, with a book, and I find that it 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 spurs creativity and reflection especially when i like leave my my phone um off to the side so any form of being outside in nature for sure there's um a concept called soft fascination have you ever have you ever I heard have, that before i haven't it's uh it's one of my my favorite uh you know concepts so what it is is like it's what happens to you when you're staring at like a fire or waves so when you're staring at something that is consistent but changing slightly, it creates this like dynamic in the mind and the brain of like a sense of calm, but enough focus where you're actually fascinated because if you think of a flickering fire, it's always kind of changing, right? Right. But it's consistent, so it creates this like calmness where you can just kind of like sit there and stare and daydream. So I bring that up because that's the impact that like nature or waves and things have on us. It, it gives us this ability to kind of zone out for, for a bit, but also maybe have, have, you know, ref, points of reflection kind of come in or deep thoughts. Um, another one that I would put on the list, I mean, definitely journaling, um, practicing gratitude, you know, saying, saying thanks like before meals and, um, and just, I think just proper acknowledgement of people in general is one of them, but playing an instrument. Um, I grew up playing the piano and it's something that 
I still do sometimes. I have two little kids, so not as much as I would like to, but that's something where, again, you know, I can't be multitasking when I do it. It's something that, you know, kind of enables me to just take a, take a bit of a, a pause, but whatever it is, it's a matter of finding something that is your style so that you're more likely to actually engage in the practice. Um, not so much just trying to do it because you think you think you should. Think you right? should. Yeah. No, I, I love that point. And hopefully that's the point that the audience takes away because I, I, I recently through conversation got back into journaling. I, I had missed it for many, many years and a conversation just like this one retune, yeah. retune me to how much I enjoyed it. And I'm also a hobbyist musician. So I, I get what you're saying about, Oh, cool. You know, what do you not, play? I play the drums and I actually, yeah. you know, uh, recently within the past year built myself a music studio just with wow, a, kid, cool. a, kid, a kid in it. And I can go in there and for, you know, a span of, you know, two hours or so, just completely detach. And it's so, it's so cathartic. It probably totally re-energizes you, right? Completely re-energizes. It's almost like, you know, clearing the cash. uh, Yeah. And then you come back and you're like, oh, why did I think all those, you know, emails were so important? (laughs) You know, it's like, doesn't seem as much of a big, but that is what happens, right? We take the time to do these things. Like all of a sudden the things that we thought were just like so important and so urgent, we like realize that by making that time and carving that time for ourselves, we, we remind ourselves that we are in control of our lives and that we are making those decisions as opposed to just being a reactionary like machine, like towards life. Like I call it being stuck in the automaticness of life. Like that is, that is happening to, I think so many people, most of us, most of us. Yeah. And then what happens? You get, you're on your deathbed and you're like, what the F did I do all those years? Right. It just like goes by in a flash. It was all unconscious and, you know, maybe not all of it, but a good chunk of it. And you just say to yourself, I wish I was more conscious in the midst of all that, you know, know, from from everything I've heard, you know, in, in those moments, it's the relationships that you're either lamenting that you didn't have, or that's really the dominating thing. It's about the relationships that you did did have and what they meant to you. None of those actions of doing uh, are the things that people are like, well, I didn't do enough at work. No one's saying that. Yeah. There's a book called the five regrets of the dying that talks about, talks about all of that. No. Outstanding. Um, So I want to venture into, and I I try to as best I can. And uh, in this environment, Talk a little bit about what leadership looks like for um, sometimes with a gender uh, bent to it. So huh, yeah. I, I'm I'm interested in <laughs> your observations. It's like, oh, he's opening Pandora's box. No, uh, I like Pandora's <laughs> box. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm interested in uh, just maybe some top level observations you have about the difficulties that maybe women have uh, in, uh, you know, both self-imposed and maybe obstacles that are in front of them in terms of how they lead in the workplace and then. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm Wait, I'll just let me get my list. Okay, yeah. I'll just be, I'll be right back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I, um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not really like a, a, I don't qualify. I don't classify myself as like a, a, like a feminist. And the reason why I don't, like, I feel like inherently maybe I am, but I don't like to say that or classify myself that way because what concerns me is that it can tend to create even more of almost like a us versus them, you know, feeling in, um, you know, kind of like in the, in the world. And sometimes, 
you know, men can, well, whatever. So, so that's not the intent. The intent is, no, um, no, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that it is. I'm just prefacing it because, because, yeah. because I think innately I actually am in the sense. So like when I, the, a lot of all of this started to become really clear for me once I had my, once I had my, my children, mm-hmm. you know, because I said I have a son that's one and a half and I have a daughter that's four and a half. And, um, and I've often felt super torn because on the one side, I'm like this really um, kind of like driven, more type A type business, business persona. Go get it. Um, on the other side, I believe so strongly in like conscious parenting. Um, and I've read so much material on that. I had a, I, I had my son at home, like I had a home birth, like I, I, breastfed my daughter until she was two years old. Like I, and I, so I believe in, and often those two things, absolutely. Like those two personas do not go hand in hand. I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot like, it's so challenging because we try to say like, Oh, women should be able to have it all. But like, if you really want to do life, right, you really can't have it all, especially not at the same time. Meaning that like, you know, for the most part, my husband, who's very hands-on, like with our kids, as much as when we had the kids, like he takes a step back to an extent, you know, supporting me and taking some time off and all that. But the trajectory of a, of a, of a man's life and their, and their kind of career is just for the most part, it's almost uninterrupted. You know, maybe it's kind of like your career's going like this and it's a little bit like it slows down, like you have the kids and stuff, but you know, as a woman, it was like so challenging because even now, you know, we pay for a a nanny. My son's only a year and a half because I said to myself, I know it would be, I know it would be easier if we just like either paid for daycare or he would, it would be, it would be cheaper and stuff. But I'm like, I want to be able to see my, my kid during, you know, during breaks, like throughout the day. And that has an impact because look, I still don't want to work a full, full time debt. Like I don't, I still don't want to work eight hours because I want time with him in the morning and I want some time at night. I don't want to rush into like having dinner and just going to sleep and not like spending any time with my kids. That means that my work day, I am shorting my work day down. Now that's my choice. But I say to myself, if I want like not to have regrets. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing that, you know, I'm Make, doing making that. those conscious choices. Yeah. Yes. And then if you don't do that as a woman, if you are like, well, I don't have that choice. I don't run my own business. I have to go to, go to the office. I have to work eight, you know, to 10 hour days. And I'm just tucking my kid in at night. Then you live with mom guilt. You know, you have this feeling and that's where this mental health issue that we see in women and, and mothers comes in and they say that postpartum depression is a two year, at least a two year stint for, for most, or just postpartum, you know, elements in general. And so if you think about that, then when you're going into the workplace, you've got, you've got all these things, right? Like on your, on your mind as a woman, you're worrying about your kids, you're feeling guilty, you're, you're, you've got this anxiety. So, so yeah, I think there's, there's, there's these different layers as a woman. I'm just talking about one that relates to you know, having, having children, right? but you know, then you think about there's other aspects, which is like what it takes to have children and the issues that women are going through with, you know, fertility. And then there's 
when you're trying to climb that corporate ladder and you can tell that somebody is having a meeting with you because of the way that you look and not because of what the meeting is about, you know, and I've been there many, many times. So there is like, when you break down these different, when you break down these different types of uh, challenging, you know, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a lot of It's a struggle. It's an uphill battle, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think the only way to really get around that is that there do there does need to be some societal shifts that need to happen. I think if there weren't if we weren't living in such a rat race type environment, if things yeah. were more of a slowing, we wouldn't feel the need to like be catching up as much as women if we lived in more of an environment that was kind of, you know, respecting more work life balance. Right. And yeah. So Anyway, as you could see, I can get on my soapbox about that pretty quickly. No, so. that, and, and that's good. I, I think that, um, you know, the observations that you make about the challenges really only, I mean, it breaks open just like you said, one aspect of it um, in terms of, you know, being parents and how involved you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the 24 hour day, the cycle, there's only so many awake hours, so many hours to, to do things. And when you have children, the idea of sort of now, how do I maintain that work-life balance? How do I spend time interacting with them? Uh, I think uh, certainly we're all challenged with that for those of us that have kids, but I think especially women are, are particularly challenged with that. And it can, yeah. I think, make, you know, the, the corporate ascent, um, it can make it feel impossible, uh, mm-hmm. I think, in some instances. And not everybody's position. Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had employee interviews with women who have said, like, there is no way I can continue my job in this like engineering industry and have children. Like they're like, I cannot keep up with the tr- the path that these right. men are on. And they're, if I have children that I'm not going to be able to keep up with this workload, I'm going to take a step back. If I go on that maternity leave, if I take sufficient time off, there's just, there's just no, you know, there's just no way. Um, and to the point where they're like crying over that, you know, crying over that notion, because how do you make that you, you're, you're making this decision between being like your, you know, your success as a career and, and, you know, have like, that's such a, that's such a, that's such a huge choice, like to make in, make in your life. And, and it's one that has an impact, lasting impact, you know, so. As someone as who's been successful at managing it, um, what are the characteristics you think need to be present in, um, you know, our women leaders in order to embrace sort of this idea that there are um, decisions that have to be made, and they, you know, there's um, uh, because of those decisions, there will be impact in the various portions uh, of their lives. Like, what characteristics are important to highlight those things? Because you, what you see most yeah. time is women just trying to do everything and trying to juggle right. things, and like, you know. You don't get to look behind the curtain in all of those instances, but I'm sure that uh, there's there's many challenges and sort of trying to engage all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. But um, I mean, first, there's just just from a more tactical level. Like the only reason why I have been able to balance things more uh, is just is because of the fact that I make my own hours and I decide, you know, right. how I'm going to go. So I think, um, you know, as especially with all the stuff around flexible work one of the places that that makes a major impact is on mothers, especially mothers who are expecting mm-hmm. or who have young children. So if you're a, if you're a lead, you know, if you're a leader in an organization, especially a woman leader, understanding that, you know, who you're talking to when it comes to that flexibility and saying like, I know you got those, the little ones at home, like that is, you know, and that that's going to, 
that that you being able to you know be at home or pick them up or do those things so that's one thing but it's setting the example it's being vulnerable about you know your own your own challenges as a as a as a woman or your own motherhood um you know one of the things that i the challenges that that i see is that in the older generations they came from more of that like well, I just had to like leave after three months and I just had to go to work. And sometimes they can't totally relate with this more of like conscious parenting lifestyle that a lot of the younger generations want to take up. Um, And so there's got to be room for some, you know, open dialogue and some vulnerability to really, really understand the nuances of what, um, what, uh, what, you know, what women are going through and what they're striving for and like what their, what their goals are. But I think, I guess the short answer to your question is just like vulnerability and, and authentic conversations. Um, yeah. I think it needs to start there. And that vulnerability, I, I suspect in your estimation, um, requires some amount of self-awareness um, in order <laughs> yes. to be able to effectively understand maybe goals, limitations, I don't know what, what happens when you make those decisions. Yeah. 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 I mean, because sometimes vulnerability is confused with weakness, right? I mean, and, um, and if say you're, you know, say you are a woman leader, you have to, you have to realize that, that, you know, if you have a younger workforce, they're looking to you to say, oh, can I see myself in that position? And a lot of them are saying, no, I can't. I don't, I don't really want to do what she did. I don't want to climb, you know, just climb the right. corporate ladder, just stay in this one job for that, that long of a period. And they have to be able to relate to you in some way. Right. And if you just kind of seem like this distant um, leader, it's not, there's, there's just no way to create that bond. So, so being vulnerable to me really does go hand in hand with being authentic. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, you know, you're breaking down crying in conversations and it's not a weakness thing. It's actually showing that you know what what things need to be said right. to have an impact and you're speaking from a place where that your intention is to impact somebody by speaking your truth, you know. Authentic. So, Authenticity, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, uh, you, you touched on the, um, the the flexibility component. I mean, this this new paradigm that we're all living in, remote life, remote work, um, combinations thereof that are um, a part of now the current workplace environment. Certainly there's some positives in terms of being able to manage your your life and work and maybe better work-life balance with this hybrid environment that we're in. But there's also got to be some negatives, I think, in terms of um, uh, well-being. And can mm-hmm. we tie those negatives into now what leaders need to sort of be on the lookout for in terms of, you know, you know, what used to be persistent engagement with your employees now amounts to, you know, maybe a single half hour video call a week. Right. How, how do you know what's going on with folks? And if, if that's the, that's the extent of your contact with them. Yeah. Um, so so I do believe, you know, the hy- the hybrid is best and there is there is research that backs this up. Um, there was some great research that came from Gallup around this. Um, but the but first of all, the one size doesn't fit all. I mean, that's that's the thing is that people have to stop thinking like, oh, OK, there's going to be one 
that, you know, what works in one company or industry might be a little bit, you know, different. You might need more of the in-person collaborations. You need more in-office time. So, so I say this more so that like, no matter what, you need to have a flexible, flexible work policy. You need to really figure out what works best, not just for your organization, but on a team by team basis, right? Teams are, and managers have to kind of, you know, get a sense of like what works and be in tune with those people. There is, um, there is definitely, there's definitely a value to being in the office, to feeling, to feeling the sense of the culture, to seeing people bumping into them, having spontaneous conversations, you know, having more casual chit chat with people to your point. Like there's a lot of bonding moments that can happen from being there. And sometimes, you know, employees don't know what's best for them, right? Like some people who are, um, who feel like, oh, I just want to be home are some employees who are retreating, who are, who maybe are already lonely and just don't feel like kind of getting out. And they say that they'd rather stay home, but then don't realize when they're in the office and they're seeing people and they're, it actually adds a, like a pep in their step. Right. So it's, so it's challenging because sometimes, sometimes like what people say is not actually necessarily what is in their best interest from a well-being and engagement standpoint. That said, I think it kind of goes into your next question, which is, you know, how are you actually getting to know those, getting to know people in these like fleeting interactions on these virtual calls and, you know, you know, quick exchanges. Um, And I think that like managers and leaders have to kind of have to have different types of interactions with different intentions, meaning that, you know, I have, when we are in the office, maybe once a quarter, twice a year, we actually go to lunch. Like we use that time of being in the office to get to know each other better, to like sit down, ask some deeper questions, ask what life is really like for that employee. Cause you're not going to be able to cover that in a quick check-in call. Right. right? And that's the challenge that then we're like, Oh, within the check-in calls, how do we like ask people, how are you? But really, how are you? And it's like, well, if you really care about that answer, you're not going to like, you're not going to cover that and everything on your, pri- like your to-do list in like a 20 to 30 minute check-in call with your employees. Uh, it's a 29 minute, 30 second call. And then the last 30 seconds, how you doing? <laughs> right. You or doing? vice versa. How are you doing? And it's 29 <laughs> minutes. And then by the way, here are the priorities that we have to get through right. this week. But if you know that like, oh, I have, I have this like, lunch that we do, you know, like clockwork every quarter, we use that as an opportunity to get to know each other better. Now you've built a foundation of, you know, kind of trust and, you know, relationship. So with those check-in calls, it's okay for them to be more transactional because you've kind of taken some time to actually like build the relationship, right? So I think it's thinking about like, what is the best use of in-office time and inner in-person time versus virtual? I don't think we've kind of thought through that layer of strategy enough. I I have some ideas uh, around it and it has to do with small team uh, leadership and and building high performing teams. And I'm, I'm convinced that there is a period of direct contact that's needed, not only at the initial standup of the team, but as you were describing periodic intentional um, like face-to-face engagements that are required if you expect people to build the kinds of bonds that ultimately lead to high performance. Really what we get from in-person, you know, I mean, we're human beings. We're not meant to like, we, we like have a body and a physicality for a reason. We're not just supposed to be like 
on screens. It's like if we wanted to hang out with our best friend, are we going to just like invite them to a Zoom <laughs> conversation or do we want to like hang out with them on the couch and like talk to them? And like when you're having an important conversation with them, you want to sit next to them and see their body language and 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 like and get a sense of them. I mean, if we have we realize that there is that value, right, in that 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 type of communication and being in each other's presence. We realize that that is that is having that type of an impact in ways that we aren't necessarily conscious of all of the time, right? So we have to like trust that there is a reason why getting you know out there in person with people, you know, see like that makes sense. It sounds even crazy that we have to explain this, doesn't it? I mean, it it's just, it's kind of insane. Yeah, it does. Um, so uh, with most of my guests, I end up uh, uh, ending the conversation around a discussion uh, of um, whether or not leaders are born or made. Uh, and I'm interested in hearing your opinion on this theory. I'm sure you've heard the question posed before. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um I think, I think you can, you know, I, I think some, maybe some of the great leaders out there are, you know, a combination of just having, you know, some type of a, you know, a natural talent or being a natural visionary or having um, a natural, you know, natural talent for wanting to develop other people, you know, um, again, depends on your, your definition of what a leader actually is. Um, But, you know, when you, you know, I've, I've done, as I mentioned, I've done like a lot of self-development, you know, in, in my life. And I've seen people who have transformed from being like, you know, you know, jerks to being really committed to people in their organization or making an impact, but um, they're made if they really are committed and invest in, you know, invest. That was part of our conversation with Deepak is that we talked about how, um, you know, there has to be that that like desire and commitment to almost like train yourself, you know, to be that type of a leader. And there aren't, you know, many people making the time to our point at the beginning, like making the time, investing the time and the energy and effort, carving it out of their busy schedules to say, this is really important to do for myself, for my own legacy and for the impact that I'm, you know, having on other people. Hence, what the is that? Ti- why are you making that facial? No, no, hence the title of the uh, of this entire thing, the podcast, and the whole theme I have around uh, being leadership in leadership. Student, it's yes. about being a continuous student, continuous yes. ongoing learning. It is a discipline. It requires you to invest time and effort in terms of developing yourself, and you have to be committed to that in order to see progress. Yes, uh, like you could ask yourself, like you know, am I a leader? Like, just like contemplate on that. And like, am I a leader just because maybe I have SVP in my title or like, does that actually make me a leader? You know, like, what is the answer to that? Like, how do you answer that question for yourself? Like, well, actually, I don't really feel like I'm a leader until I am practicing X or until, until I embody these, you know, qualities, right? Or until I have this type of impact, but it maybe it kind of starts with that, you know, starts with that question. Absolutely. Um, how can folks uh, get in touch with you if they're interested in taking you up on the workplace well-being? Uh, well, my website is workplacewellbeingadvisors.com. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active. So if you message me, message me on, on LinkedIn, I'm there. I'm there as well. But yeah, you can, you can get in touch with me through the through the uh, website.
Okay. Love it. Uh, and love the conversation, Danielle. Appreciate you joining us here on the Leadership Student Podcast. Uh, folks, that's it for this uh, session of the Leadership Student. We will continue to have conversations like this about the different aspects of leadership, all of the ingredients, uh, as I like to say, that go into building out good leaders. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next Leadership Student Podcast. Take care. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSB Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itsbmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.